You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everyone, welcome to Music Tectonics. I'm your irregular guest host, Trista Yeager, strategist at Rock, Paper, Scissors. Today we have a really exciting guest who is both an impressive music executive and a cornerstone of several key music industry communities, Christine Osazawa. Christine is Global Marketing Director of Data and Insights at Warner Music in London, as well as founder of Measure of Music, an event that explores music and data, among many other things. So Christine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Awesome. So I always love to find out how people in the music business got obsessed with music because I it, it is rare to find someone who isn't deeply passionate about music in this business. I would love to hear about how you got fascinated with music and what made you decide to pursue a career in the business. Yeah. So I guess when I was a kid, um, I went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, I want to go to a concert. And her response was, why would you want to be in a room full of screaming people? Um, I didn't see it that way, obviously. Um, I did get to go to the concert, and it was, honestly, it was life-changing. Um, I don't know if my mother knew the beast she was unlocking in me when she allowed me to go to that gig, um, but after that, can I, I, I can was I ask? Oh, I'm sorry to, just to interrupt, yeah. Christine. I'd love to know who who uh, brought that out. Like, who? what was the band? Or oh, the group, God, the Good artist? Charlotte. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So I am a, I'm a little pop punk kid. I grew up going to Warp Tour. Um, and that was the, the, the first catalyst when I got to go out into the world and see it live. Um, and so from there, I, I remember I went to a, um, I went to a club gig. It's a small cap room. Um, and after the show, there was a band outside and they were passing out flyers for their show. Um, and I think at this point I was maybe 14, 15 years old, I don't think I had a concept of the fact that bands were different sizes. Um, so I figured if I knew a band, then they were famous, and that was about it. Um, and so I was blown away to get to have a conversation with this band, and they were talking to me about their their, their band. And um, I eventually ended up running their street team, which was really fun and really cool. And that's kind of like how I started getting into music. Um, and then I eventually I turned that into a magazine. I had a print magazine about the music industry. Um, by the time I was done, I actually had a staff of 12 people on that magazine, but it was an actual print magazine. This would have been 2005, 2006-ish when I started it. Um, so this was the age of blogs, but I knew I really wanted something tactile, something that people could hold in their hands. Um, and so that's why I went with the print route, though I did also like maintain a website and did social media presence and things like that. So I really just kind of got a crash course in all things music and marketing when I was a kid. And that was like my first parlay into the music industry, really. That's that's really incredible that you took, you know, you really just dived in head first. Um, how did that move from something that you could touch and, and hold and being on street teams and doing that kind of really uh, grassroots, boots on the ground type promotion how did you get interested in data and all these intangible yet uh, fascinating insights? Yeah, um, I know it seems like a, a stretch, but essentially what happened was that just because I really liked the physical world, the digital world was happening in tandem. So um, if you remember back in the Stone Age um, of 2006, uh, MySpace and LiveJournal were both huge, huge platforms. Um, and so what was really unique about those platforms is that you could customize your profiles, like as opposed to like, you know, Facebook or Twitter. And so what I did was I really, really wanted a cool MySpace page. Um, and so 
I was like, okay, how did you have a cool MySpace page? And I was like, oh, I've learned to code. All right, I'm 14. I've got free time. Um, so I learned how to code HTML, CSS, and a bit more so I could have a cool MySpace page um, on the bright side. Not a lot of people were actually doing that. Um, and so that meant that a lot of companies started approaching me um, because they wanted a really cool MySpace page. So I started working with artists and I started working with um, different bands and things like that to make themselves make cool myspace pages um and since i was already in there i also started doing digital marketing work i had experience as a street team leader um and so i understood conceptually marketing concepts and so i just applied them to the digital world as well um back in 2007 2006 ish also when twitter started um and so there was this lot of digital work happening in the background and so essentially what then happened was I needed a way to track all of that digital work I was doing in addition to the physical stuff I was doing. So I had my magazine. I had the website for the magazine. We sold magazines via the website. Um, we had traffic coming there. I was working with different artists and different companies as well. Um, and so I needed a way to understand all of these things. Um, that's why I discovered Google Analytics. Um, I don't think I even knew Google Analytics like, I don't think I knew the word analytics as a word until then. Um, but I knew that a lot of people, a lot of data was coming through that I needed to understand. And so I started to start to understand that. In addition to, like, digital marketing work I was doing, I started to learn about advertising and things like that. And basically, all of these things had metrics. All of these things had data that I needed to learn. Um, and so that's how I first started understanding that, okay, data is something that is important as I, I, as I am a marketer, essentially. And then um, from there... Um, I did a lot of schooling during all of that. So I did my undergrad degree in music business and journalism, and then I did my MBA in marketing. Um, and so while I was doing my MBA in marketing, I took my first kind of like data specific course. And um, our professor did a uh, regression model, a linear regression model. And it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And it felt like magic to me. It was amazing because essentially what it does is just predict something. Um, and it didn't really occur to me that you could predict with data, just that you could report on data, that you could see data. Um, and that's why I was like, okay, I know I need to do more of this. And so I went on and did my master's in data science as well. Um, while all this was going on back in 2011, Spotify came to America. Um, I always joke that Spotify was the best thing that happened to me in 2011, and that was also the same year I graduated from university, just for some context. Um, so essentially, I understood that streaming would be big, um, because it was already big in Europe by the time it came to the States. Um, and I was like, okay, streaming is going to be really important. Um, YouTube was going on at this time as well. I was like, okay, all these things are really important, and they're going to have a lot of data associated with them. Um, and so I understood music. I understood marketing and I was like, cool, I'm going to need to understand some of the data in order to actually be able to get a job at one of these these cool startups, you know, these cool companies. And so that's kind of how I pieced everything together. Um, and thankfully, the uh, thankfully all of my foresight, um, you know, came to fruition because um, now I have a job that kind of very much encompasses all of those different components. That's, that's really amazing. So I, I, I love that. And I love how you've basically given yourself uh, an incredible education in the music business. And that's um, really inspirational. Um, I was curious, what you think is the most exciting um, sort of trend in data right now? Like, what are you looking at? What are you seeing out there in the wild that makes you really, really intrigued? Like, wow, this is, it's really interesting to compare, I don't know, um, Twitch and um, GeoSabin or, you know, like what, what kind of interesting things are on your mind when it comes to the, this crazy world of data and music? Yeah, I think it's just that people are starting to understand and see that data is important. Um, so I'm seeing a lot more people getting hired as analysts, a lot more people getting hired to understand data um, and understand insights and reporting and things like that, which is really exciting because 
it hasn't always been that way. Um, especially, well, on the label side, it hasn't always been that way, especially when you consider the tech companies very much are focused on data um, and AI and, um, and machine learning. So one area that I'm really excited about is just that, that understanding that data actually is important and we should have people staffed at labels just like we have marketing people and A&R people to make sure that we're making the right decisions with data. The other area that's really interesting to me is that I think people are starting to realize a bit more that data isn't everything in the music industry. So we've always used data in a certain way. So we've always looked at the charts. You know, we've always like top 40 literally is called top 40 because it's a chart. Um, and that is data. You know, people will go to gigs and see how many people show up at the show for A&R purposes. Still data. Um, you know, look, you know, calling up the radio stations, you know, all kinds of spaces. People are always been looking at data. And I think people are starting to um, come back around and be less intimidated and scared by data when they start understanding that they've always been looking at data and when the you know when the analysts or the insights manager comes in and starts telling them things it's not to harm them it's not to undervalue what they do it's literally to make their lives a little bit easier so that instead of having to go to you know instead of having to go to 12 different charts to look up something they've just pulled those charts together and told you you know what the trend is on those charts and you know what to look forward to in the future on those charts and things like that so that's a space that I'm just super excited about is people understanding how data is incorporated into various parts of the industry and how it can be used to make everyone's life easier, how it can be used for automation, how it could be used to, um, for trend finding, how it can be used to help identify potential artists so that you can still sit down and have those conversations and go to those gigs. Basically, how data can be used to help people go back to doing the job they want to be doing rather than pulling pieces of reports together so that the the poor coordinator or the poor analyst that's sitting there logging into 10 different websites and writing down numbers can stop doing that and start, you know, learning how the music industry works. Um, and so like, I wish I could tell you like, oh, I'm really excited about NFTs or things like that. But then I'm just, I'm just really <laughs> no, excited that people NFTs. are <laughs> passionate about data and like are interested in yeah. it and see the value because it hasn't always been that way. Um, and that's an area that I'm really passionate about and fighting for is that people understand the value of it. That's really exciting. And, and your passion comes through. It's great. So as you're looking at whether, whether we're talking operationally or just purely, um, you know, looking at data itself in the music business, what do you wish we had we knew more about or we're looking more closely about when it comes to um, when it comes to music data? Are there gaps that you feel should be addressed um, what do you wish we knew about the way people listen is, you know, I know you can get pretty you can get very, very, very granular on places like Spotify, but are there big blank spots um, either on the map or um, in our capabilities to trace with data that you are hoping get filled in? Yeah, I think one thing that I always tell people um, is to, and it sounds really counterintuitive given what I just said, is step away from the data for a moment, meaning Think about what you're trying to answer, what question you're trying to answer, what problem you're trying to solve, and ignore the existence of data for a moment. Step back and think about what am I trying to answer, what am I trying to solve? And then we can circle back and talk about what data we have to address that. But I think a lot of times one area that... Um, that once people start understanding that data exists, people are like, start wanting lots of reports. So like, cool, we're gonna have a report on this and a report on that and a report on this. And I'm like, is that actually telling you anything? Or are you just looking at seven different reports again? Um, and so when people can step back and think about, hey, what questions am I trying to answer? For example, let's say, what markets do I have the most opportunity in as an artist, right? So if we take that as a question and take that as a concept, then you can start thinking, okay, what data is available to me to start to figure that out? For example, it might be, you know, obviously like number of streams I'm getting in different markets, number of listeners, but it also could be 
how many mentions in those territories am I getting on Twitter? Or what does my Google Trends numbers look like? Or how much, you know, have I done sync on a big show there recently? Or how many people have said they're interested on, you know, Songkick or um, things like that. So there's a lot of different ways that you can use. You can take qualitative data and convert it into quantitative data, but you have to start with what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to achieve and not just toss a bunch of metrics at people because not every metric is going to answer the question. Um, and what you're going to do is just overwhelm people with data when really like two or three data points might be exactly what you need to make a decision rather than, you know, seven or eight reports that you still have to drill down to and find what the answer you're looking for. That's great. Data for its own sake is <laughs> is, uh, less, uh, is less helpful than um, trying to actually solve the problem and take a step back. That's good advice. Exactly. Um, so I was wondering, there's been some discussion lately just in terms of algorithms and data, um, you know, issues of bias that come up in data sets and how we use them. And I'm wondering if you feel like these issues are pertinent to the music business. And if so, how, what should we do to address them or at least maybe even just to begin to wrap our brains around them? Is there anything like that that you see from your perspective? Yeah, I think one thing about algorithm bias and AI bias is is part of the reason why um, people still have their jobs um, because very frequently you still need a human to have a look, um, a human to take a chance, um, a human to actually, you know, do that extra legwork. Like I say, the data is meant to supplement, not to replace. Um, and I say that because data generally, not, I will say not all ways in which you might, you know, do data science work, for example, but a lot of the ways you do data science work is based on historical performance. Um, and so if things were biased in the past and you use, and you create an algorithm based on the biased data of the past, the only thing you're going to get out of it is biased data in the future for like, and taking it, taking it away from, I don't know, taking it away from music for a moment. Let's talk about something um, different. So like, let's say you looked at, I don't know, who was qualified to buy a house in 1800, the people that were qualified to buy a house in 1800, if you based your data set on just that, unfortunately, would leave out a big swath of people that now, for example. Um, and so if you take that and apply it to other spaces, if there were gaps in the market, if there were a type of audience or type of people that were overlooked when it comes to music in the past, and you use all of that as your means for the future, you're going to miss out on people. Um, that's that's what it comes down to in a lot of different algorithms and a lot of different machine learning uh, methodologies is that live is based on historic data. And so it's really important to have that eye and also the people that are going to take a chance. Um, because I always say, um, one thing I think is really important is I, I work in a major label. And one thing that's really important for me to think about, and I tell people all the time, it's, it's partly our job to create culture, not just follow, not just follow trends. Meaning if we go and you're like, cool, what's really hot right now? What's, what's really, what's really working right now? You're already, you can already be behind. And so really, you're meant to dictate what's hot right now, what's going to work, what's going what's going on. And you might not be able to use data to do it because if it's the first time it's ever been done, it's the first time it's ever been done. There's no historic data to back you up potentially. So sometimes you have to take the risk. You have to take the chance and just go for it. And to be honest, I know, again, counterintuitive, you have to ignore the data or figure out, again, what answer, what question I'm trying to answer. And meaning when I say that is, when you're like, cool, how do I create culture? You start thinking about what were the things that went into the last big trend? What were the components that made, you know, the Latin explosion? What made that the th a thing? And that was around things like, you know, U.S. immigration, for example, changed the landscape of the way the U.S. looked 
So if you think about those components of it to help make your, your decisions rather than just looking at, well, you know, in the past, this pop music worked, you know, we're just going to do another boy band because that worked. That's not that's not the way to drive culture. And that's what's really important, I think, when it comes to the music industry and like working with data is figuring out the deeper the deeper question you're trying to answer rather than the surface level. That's fantastic. Um you know, you have devoted a lot of time and energy um, and a lot of your passion, not just to your work, um, but also to um, some initiatives that really bring the music industry community together in ways that are, I mean, I'll say are are really unusual and unique. Um, So I want to hear a little bit about one of your uh, latest projects, which is Measure of Music. Can you tell tell everybody what that's about and what goes on at Measure of Music and um, all that good stuff? Yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, so Measure of Music, it's been a strange event. It's really hard for me to describe it in like a few words, but I'll do my best. Um, so essentially, Measure of Music is a conference slash workshop slash hackathon. Um, the first one took place back in February. Um, and the idea is was to expose and democratize the idea of music and data. Um, like I mentioned, I think sometimes people might be a little intimidated when it comes to it, but I wanted to make sure I built a safe space where people could come together. Um, how it was actually structured is that there was um, speakers. So each day had a theme. Um, day one was tech day. So we had people that came and talked about APIs, for example. We had Spotify. Um, we had um, Genius. We had Last.fm. We had Chartmetric. You know, all come and talk about their APIs. Um, then day two was music day. Um, and so we had panel discussions, um, which were really cool from, you know, TikTok, QA, Linkfire, um, who else do we have? We had so many people come and talk about the music industry, um, which was really, really quite exciting. And then day three, I called it Career Day. Um, and that was, we heard from people working in HR. We heard from people working in people analytics. We heard from people working in diversity and inclusion. Um, it was a really exciting day to kind of like culminate the event. And so while all this was going on, the participants were also working on a music data project. So the speakers from the first day, plus a lot of other sponsors as well, provided data, API access, et cetera, for them to work on data-driven projects. And so we had uh, around 70 people um, work in groups to put together a music data project that they presented to a group of their peers, as well as judges from companies like Warner and Patreon and Linkfire, et cetera. Um, it was really, really exciting to see people kind of come together. There were people that had never worked in music before. There are people that had never worked with data before. They all came together. And what was really exciting and what I was most proud of is that the participants and the speakers were majority minority in both gender and race, um, which was really important to me because as someone that was a Black woman that works in tech and works in music, um, I don't see myself represented. And I wanted to make sure that the people that were working on the projects could look up on the virtual screen and see themselves um, represented and know that this is an opportunity and this is a possibility for me. Um, it's hard to see something as a pro- opportunity for you if you never see someone like you doing it. Yeah, that matters greatly and I think is... is um inspiring and and makes things seem more attainable even if they uh you know when you if you came into it completely like i have no idea what this is about and i'm scared (laughs) right that's amazing so we're some tell us a bit about the projects what were some of the projects that came out of that um anything that you want to share yeah of course um so first of all there all of the projects and all the presentations are up on our website so definitely check them out there at measuringmusic.com um, but yeah there was one for example um, was on an artist um, there was there was a few that were on artists and what was really cool about 
the fact that we had mentors and volunteers throughout the weekend is one of the presentations that was about an artist was thankfully someone that was a mentor for the weekend actually worked directly with that artist. Um, They were signed to her label. And so because of that, she actually sent the project directly to the artist and talk about the best way to get exposure um, on a project that you worked on over a weekend, but to go direct, then have it go directly to an artist. For example, Um, we had some people put together like prototypes of apps, um, stuff to like, you know, find your, you know, find your music best friend kind of idea. Um, there were some that talked about like using music and emotions. There were a few talking, doing deep dives of artists. Um, our winning team talked about live streams, um, which is, you know, very pertinent in the world we are in today. Um, there were, it was amazing. There were 17 different projects in total that, that spanned from, A&R and marketing to um, straight kind of technical things. And I was really blown away that how much people were able to put together. And, and literally, I'm talking, they, we started on a Friday night and we ended on a Sunday night. So they had about 48 hours to put everything together. It was truly impressive. Thanks, Christine. That's amazing. Um, just to wrap up here, I'm wondering if we could get a little bit uh, futuristic, maybe fantasy, sci-fi sort of themed here. If you could wave a magic wand and change anything about the music business or about music data, if you want to get more specific, what would it be? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a really great question. Um, I think I have two areas that I'm, I think about a lot and I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, we haven't talked too much about what my day job is, um, but I'll sum it up really easily and say, um, so like I mentioned, I work for a major label. I work for Warner Music Group um, and I am our global marketing team. So we're essentially the team that helps decide what Warner Music's global priorities are. Um, and people always ask me what I love most about my job. Um, and really what I love most about my job is getting to change what people's perceptions of a global superstar can be. Um, I think a lot of times when it comes to music and the music industry, we get very sucked into U.S. and U.K. Um, and what my team does is we look at the rest of the world, too, which is really quite exciting. So I have worked with, you know, I've worked on Anita from Brazil. Um, she's a huge pop star there. It's been really exciting to work on her project. Um, and one of my the only thing that my parents are usually really excited about when I mention is that I worked on the Burner Boy project and he's a Nigerian artist, for example. And it's really, really exciting to get to say that, you know, we're helping break artists, not just from the U.S. and the U.K. And don't get me wrong, a lot of my favorite artists are from the U.S. and the U.K., but breaking artists in the rest of the world is just so, so fulfilling. And like in the future, the future of the music industry, I want to see just more of that. And the trends show that we're going in that direction anyway, but I definitely want people to embrace and understand that the world is bigger than just the US and the UK. And that's something that I'm, I'm hoping we can just see more and more of as we progress. Um, and then the second part that I would love to see is, and don't get me wrong, the, the people that run the major labels are incredibly talented and absolutely deserve to be where they are. Um, but I would love to see as we progress more and more Um, I would love to see more label heads and more CEOs that have an understanding of tech. Imagine having a couple of CEOs of major labels that can code. If you think about where we make all of our money from, you know, the Spotify's and the Apple's and the YouTube's of the world. If you think about all their CEOs, their CEOs are computer engineers and computer scientists and all kinds of things like that. I'm not saying that you need to be a computer scientist to run a major label, um, but thinking about how much data and how many, how much analytics and how much insights that, you know, I work with, for example, or people, you know, people like myself are working with, I can definitely see a space there where, you know, those types of people can have a seat at the table because if we make all of our money from companies that have, you know, the inverse ratio that we have for data scientists and data analysts and data insights, 
um, I feel like we should have our leadership reflect that a bit more. And I think that'd be a really exciting way to um, to see the future of the music industry. Oh, and I, I have a third one because another part of my, <laughs> my, my another part that I haven't talked about is I am also a co-lead of our um, of an employee resource group at Warner Music Group. Um, and it's um, it's a group meant to focus on our employees of color and allies within the company. And so diversity and inclusion is a, is a space that I'm really passionate and really interested in. Um, and so, of course, just more representation more representation across the board for women, women in tech, women not in tech, you know, women in CEO positions, more representation for people of color um, is something that is really, really important to me um, and making sure that we are represented across the organizations, not just in entry level, entry level internship positions, but all the way up to the C-suite is something that's really, really important to me. And so I'd love to see the future of the music industry where I can look to any of the major labels and see, you know, a person that looks like me running them, that would be absolutely amazing. I have a lot of hope that that day is coming, Christine. And I think that's going to make for a much, it's going to make for a really exciting um, and probably more creative and uh, more productive music business. So um, amen to that. Thank you so much for your generous um, time and for sharing your insights and your perspectives. And yeah, thanks for all the work you're doing in bringing together people around data. Thank you so, so much for having me. Um, one thing I do want to plug at the end of this year is that the next measure of music is unfortunately not going to be until next year, um, but I'm really excited about it because it's going to be a hybrid program. So it's going to be online and then also with satellite locations around the world. Um, and so I'm looking for people that want to get involved with that because I imagine it's going to be a logistical nightmare, but it's going to be really fun. So if you want to jump on the bandwagon with me, please feel free to reach out. Great. And we'll add a, your, the website. The, the website's pretty simple. It's measureofmusicalloneword.com. We'll put some stuff in the show notes too for anyone who wants to check that out. But once again, thank you, Christine. And thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. The annual Music Tectonics Conference is known for bringing together people from across the music tech landscape to share ideas and get business done. In 2021, our unique conference approach invites a global audience to participate in parallel universes, in the metaverse, across the planet, and on a carousel by the sea. Mark your calendar for online events October 25th through October 27th and in-person events outdoors by the sea in Los Angeles on November 2nd. We're maximizing what virtual events do best with two unique platforms. In the morning, we'll bring together dynamic and interactive panels of thought leaders plus our world-famous speed networking so you can share ideas and build relationships frictionlessly across time zones. In the afternoon, we'll add even more serendipity as we invite you to the metaverse. Join us for that feeling of togetherness as you move your avatar through the crowd at a musical instrument demo, drop into the virtual expo hall, or strike up a chance conversation. Don't just talk about innovation and music, experience it at a conference like no other, Music Tectonics. Learn more and get a special early bird ticket price starting June 1st at musictectonics.com. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We put out new episodes every week. Want more? Find it at musictectonic.com. You can dig deeper into this episode, learn about our annual conference, get the Music Tectonics app, 
and sign up for our newsletter. MusicTectonics.com has it all. Also, look for Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. And connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, on LinkedIn. Peace. You're listening to Music Tectonics.